This week's episode is sponsored by Mixers, individually packaged vitamin drink mixes that give you vital nutrients in a quick, effortless, and delicious mocktail form made for all of our women babes by babes. Our goal and mission is to have conversations that uplift and empower everyone to reach their potential, know their ultimate goodness, recognize their babehood, and use their voice for good. To do that, we could all use a little more energy and a boost, and that's why we love Her Power. Her Power is a non-stimulant energy supplement that provides stamina, concentration, mental support, and mental clarity. Struggle with racing mind and anxiety or feeling constantly tired? Uh, I do. Her power is your answer. Show up in life focused on point, full of energy, but without the crash and habit forming behaviors that caffeine can cause. If you want a little more energy and a little boost, follow the link in our show notes or our Instagram link tree and use code mixhers-babes. That's M-I-X-H-E-R-S-babes for your 10% off your order. You can even use it on your first month of subscription, which gets you 20% off. So add our 10% code and the 20% off subscription code for a total of 30% off and give Mix Hers a try. We're your hosts, Dana and Kara, and this is From the Mouths of Babes. Welcome back, babes. We are so excited to welcome Emily Christensen back to talk today. You may remember her. We had a conversation about effective conversations about pornography with children. Um, She's notoriously known for being the imperfect wife and mother of three who believes in the power of family dinners and do-overs. She has a professional background in commercial real estate, but personally, her background is in supporting families, including her own that have been impacted by pornography and she coaches individuals. Um, So for the past 19 years, she's been doing both. So we are really excited to welcome Emily back to have this discussion about emotion and how we can process emotions in ourselves as well as helping our children to process emotions as well. Where we left off last, we had been talking about pornography and how to teach our children about pornography. And in the midst of that conversation, we really realized that a lot of the work that needs to be done in ourselves and in our children to prevent compulsive behavior, to prevent uh, pornography use is understanding our feelings and being able to talk about those and feel those. And so we're excited to talk with Emily about that and really dive into processing our emotions. So this is something that I am really working on right now. My two and a half year old is really stretching my patience and it's bringing a lot of emotions to the surface. Um, I'm also trying to learn how to okay and help her feel that it's okay for her to feel her emotions. Um, It's been really interesting as I've followed a lot of coaches and especially like toddler experts, that has been a huge shift in the way people have parented because in the past, a lot of parents have, you know, shamed feelings that kids have had. Maybe that was our own experiences. And so a lot of parents are really trying to help kids to feel a lot of emotion um, or okay the emotion. But that's been tricky for me because it's this balance of how do you okay the emotion, but not okay the behavior. So I'm, I'm excited to dive into this and maybe learn some new tips and tricks for myself in my own situation. Well, good. And thank you so much for having me back. I'm excited to be here and to talk with you too. I want to start with just talking about the basics of like, how does teaching your children and teaching yourselves how to process your emotions prevent compulsive behavior? Okay. That's a great question. So first of all, emotions are a part of our human experience and it's a natural and normal part. And there's nothing we can do to change that. And so just first of all, recognizing that we all have emotions, that's what makes life so amazing, right? Is that we have life is full of all these different emotions. And so, um, it's part of our existence. Now, 
it's natural for the brain too to resist emotions that feel uncomfortable mm. and to not want to feel those emotions. And so because of that, the brain will urge us to seek other things that feel better, that help us avoid or numb out from feeling emotions that feel uncomfortable. And so that is really where this starts, this pattern starts, where we turn to something on, um, it can start as occasional use and, and just escalate until it becomes a compulsive way of avoiding emotion. And so that's how emotions and behavior are tied together is compulsive behaviors are used to avoid emotion. Now, let me say too, that often people too will use, um, can use some type of behavior for the emotional extremes too. Sometimes we assume it's just for the low lows, but it's also for the high highs. Mm. <laughs> it can be as a form of celebration or as a form of, um, rewarding ourselves or, and so, uh, it's just a way to respond to an emotion in an unhealthy way. And we've repeated that behavior again and again and again. I, I like that you differentiate that it's both, that it can be in both directions, whether that's a high emotion, whether that's low emotion, because I think often our minds quickly turn to, a compulsive behavior being because of a low moment or avoiding emotion uh, versus uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like indulging in an emotion. Yeah, it can be indulging. It can also too, just feeling big emotion to people can feel scary. Mm. And so because that feels scary to just, whether it's a high, high or a low, low, it's just escaping that because it feels uncomfortable to feel that way. Yeah. I think like as an adult, I really relate that to food <laughs> and in my own journey, like just realizing like, yeah, like I celebrated with food. I rewarded myself with food. I went to food when I was bored. I went to food when I was anxious. I went to food yeah. when I was angry. And so I think, I think that's a, a very adult coping. Yeah, totally <laughs> but I mean, it started as a kid though, too. Um, and who knows exactly why, probably because I have ADHD and, but <laughs> I didn't know it, <laughs> but yeah, I just thought, think that, yeah, that's a, it doesn't, it's not always something so big as pornography use mm -hmm. or hitting or something like that. It can be something as normal as food being your coping mechanism. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think another really current example is I have a tendency to do this when I'm trying to avoid emotion is to pick up my phone and just to mm -hmm. scroll, scrolling through Instagram, through Pinterest, through Facebook. And it's a way to numb myself from, from feelings. Um, are there other examples that you can think of that might be examples of compulsive behaviors adults might exhibit if they didn't learn this crucial skill as a child? Yeah, there can be lots of examples, um, maybe spending money, shopping, mm. um, watching TV. I mean, now we've got the opportunity. You can binge anything you want, any time of the day. So um, streaming shows, um, exercise can be a release, right? But can it also be taken to an extreme where it just becomes the way, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying, I think with all of these things, um, some of them I wouldn't recommend at all, <laughs> but there can be some that can be healthy, but then we can take it to an extreme where it's unhealthy. And we are using this as an escape. We're using it as a way to escape life instead of live life. And so I think we all have different behaviors that we do just to pull away and, and escape and not feel emotion. So that's so interesting because I'm just thinking about my own life and times when I do that and what's the balance, because I think there are definitely times when I am so like, everything is turned on. I have to be on all the time. And so we, as a people, I think need opportunities to numb, but what's the balance or is it, or is that even the correct frame of mind or term? is there a healthier way to say like, Oh, I just need, I have some time overload right now. Yeah. I yeah. need a timeout. 
Yeah. Well, I, you know what, I think there are times I think of how many times maybe food has helped us, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe that warm loaf of bread was, did help us out or helped us get through something. I even remember an experience I had years ago when I was working professionally and I had an incident at work that was really upsetting. And I drove right to the outlet malls and bought myself a brand new purse from coach. And I've never spent that much money on a purse ever. (laughs) Now, was it (laughs) the healthiest response? No. And I really liked that purse, but I think sometimes we do things because we're human and we really need to give ourselves grace in this process and recognize we're figuring out how to deal with emotions from little to big. We are figuring out what it's like to be a human and to feel emotion. And sometimes we handle it in a great way. And sometimes we don't. And it's important that each of us identify healthier ways of, you know, I think all of us have some unhealthy ways and some unhealthy ways. I mean, it could be compulsive cleaning and compulsive organizing. It could be, it can be behaviors where we just kind of tune out the world or just, we put ourselves in a book and we just turn out the world for 24 hours, right? Maybe that isn't healthy, you know, maybe a little dose taking a little bit at a time just to get by, especially if we're in a situation that's really difficult, but when it's getting out of hand and it's prohibiting us from really living our lives and progressing and it's affecting our relationship with ourselves and others and perpetuating a lot of shame. That's when we need, you know, we need to be talking about it. Yeah. I think that's, that's the key. That's the differentiation there. Um, so let's, let's jump into that more than starting young, because I think it can be easier if we are teaching these principles of how to process our emotion, um, from a younger age versus as an adult, it can be harder to one, recognize that and two to stop the, the patterns of behavior. Cause that's just what we've known for so long. So how do we help, or what are some basic principles of teaching our kids how to process their emotions in a healthy way? Well, the first thing we want to do is when they are feeling an emotion, we recognize that we don't need to take on the same one. Hmm. And, and this is hard. We don't want to reflect back to them. If our child is out of control, it doesn't help them if we're out of control at all as well. Right. So learning how to maintain our calm when they're not calm is really important. I mean, I love the phrase that parents use and they yell at their kids, calm down. And (laughs) never in the history of a child, a parent yelling at their child to calm down has the child calmed down. Now they might be quiet because they're afraid and they don't want to get in trouble, but are they instantly able to calm their nervous system? Absolutely not. Right. Right. So when we react to their emotion, it doesn't help calm their emotional state. So we have to change the way we think about them having an emotion that emotions aren't a problem. It's not a problem that they're having an emotional reaction to something, even if we disagree with their emotional reaction. We also have to think and remember that emotions aren't their identification. And we do this sometimes as parents, we see a child, like we have vegetables for dinner or broccoli, and they say, I hate broccoli. And then they throw a fit at the table. And then we think, great, our child is just going to eat crappy food the rest of their life. And they're never (laughs) going to learn to eat healthy. And we're never going to figure this out. And then we lose it. And the child is not motivated at all to eat the broccoli at that point. And then it just turns into a hot mess. Right. And so realizing the child might have some resistance to eat, eating their broccoli, but that doesn't identify them as a problem, right? They just don't like broccoli and that's okay. And, or if we have a child that maybe is complaining about something a lot and we think, oh, they're just such a complainer or they're so annoying. When we label our children as emotions, then we react stronger to them because of what we make it mean about us or our parenting or, and so when we can just separate that and realize they are humans that are having emotions and they're trying to figure it out and I'm trying to figure it out. And we just provide that space then we can stay removed enough to just help them identify what they're feeling and talk them through it instead of layering on more shame and emotion to what they're experiencing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I think giving them some options and saying, okay, tell me what you're feeling. Can we label this? Can we fix it? Like what's really, what is your emotion telling you? I guess there's that book called like the language of emotions that is like the underlying emotion is just something you're trying to figure out really. Yeah. And our job isn't even to fix it. It's just to help them feel it. It's to help them identify and solve their problems on their own, because that's the skill that we're ultimately trying to teach. So when a child is young, we're just trying to help them identify it and reflect back to them when they're screaming or they're, Oh, you're feeling upset right now. I can tell you're feeling upset. Do you know why you're feeling upset? I just want you to know you're safe. We're okay. Everything's okay. You know, reassuring them that you're there for them, reassuring them, helping them name and identify what they're feeling, providing a safe place for them to be. Now, this is where we get into, we start having to distinguish between behavior and emotion, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a child that is experiencing a big emotion and they start grabbing things off the grocery store shelves and throwing them on the ground, the action that action is not okay. And you have to remove the child from that situation. So they're safe and, and pull them away, but giving them a lecture about how they need to calm down and behave in the grocery store at that point would not be effective. So you've just got to remove them from the situation, allow them the time and space, help them find their calm. And then later we can have a talk about when we're at the grocery store, you know, it's okay to feel angry inside, but we don't throw things. We don't, or we don't hit, or we don't do this or that when we're feeling that. Okay. But there are times as a parents where we have to intervene to keep the child safe and to teach just the basic rules of behavior of what's okay and not okay of what you've decided as a parent or as a family. Yeah. I am. One of the things I love that you have said is that you say, quote, it's not our job as parents to make our kids happy. It's our job to teach them how to feel sad. And I think that this is going along with that of the how to feel sad of one modeling the behavior, talking about the behavior, what's acceptable versus what is not feeling the emotion itself. That's fine. But when we take that emotion and then turn it into hitting or screaming or a myriad of other behavioral options they could choose from, I think that's, that's the distinction that you're you're talking about here. When we, and when they react that way, it's not okay. And it's not okay for us as adults too. And how many times, and one thing that I really try and model and teach intentionally to my kids is this concept of emotional ownership, that we are all responsible for our own emotions. So when I lose it with my kids, which I do, I own it. It's on me. And it doesn't matter if they spilled the milk or like, oh, here, I'll give you an example. My kids over fall break, were playing great British baking show and they <laughs> were up there baking away and they pulled their cake out of the oven prematurely and they put it out on the drying rack and it collapses. And they had spent hours working on this. So I'm down in my office working and all of a sudden I, I thought someone had like cut a finger off with the screams and the wailing that I heard upstairs. So I came upstairs and I did not handle this well. What I did is I totally reacted to their emotion. And I just reflected right back what they were doing. And I was like, shut this down, right? This is out of control. You're out of control. Everybody's out of control. Well, I was out of control, right? And and trust me, it did not make anything ever any better, you know, and then everyone's crying and like, and, and then I, once I had calmed down and came to, I said, okay, I am sorry, you guys, that was, that was on me. I didn't respond accordingly, but let's talk about now. I want to teach you and talk about reacting to different things and different reactions. And let's talk about this reaction to the cake. And, and if that was okay, what do you guys think, you know, and if we've, And, um, is it okay to respond that way? 
how do we feel? And are we able to solve the problem? Because I had one child who was able to hold it enough together to figure out a solution, but the other two were just laying on the ground like that someone had died. And, and I said, when you're in this position, are you able to help be a part of the solution or are you part of the problem? And then we had a really good conversation once everyone had calmed down, once everyone's nervous system, but I told them like, this is on me. My reaction is on me. And I didn't respond the way I wanted to. And I'm sorry about that. So let's try that again. But then teaching them that principle that their reaction is on them. And then let's talk about their reaction. Let me teach them how, you know, what would be an appropriate response if the cake didn't work out, you know? And it doesn't mean it wasn't a big deal. It was a huge deal. And I understand that. But then let's think about the action that we take and how could we handle that in a better way? Let's learn from this together. I love that. I think, yeah. as you say, obviously as parents, we're not always going to get it right all the time. We're going to make mistakes. The best thing that we can do is model to our children how to recuperate after a mistake has been made. Um, I also love that you say this, um, you, you've quoted this on your Instagram. You say that effective parenting isn't about always getting it right all the time. It's about owning our mistakes when we don't. So I think this is a perfect example of that. Um, I'm just thinking of my own experience this last week of, of similarly, just getting really frustrated when Sawyer doesn't, she, she's like the queen at procrastination right now. So when she's supposed to be going down for a nap or going to bed, you know, she'll say like, I want a hug and a kiss. And then you'll say, okay, then come and give me a hug and a kiss. And then she'll say no. And then you're like, okay, well then mom's going to walk out of the room. It, it's time, time to go to, down for a nap or I want mommy to rub my tummy. And so I'll say, okay, great. If you want me to rub your tummy, then you need to lay down. And it's over and over and over. And I just found myself getting so frustrated that I end up yelling and just feeling awful about it. And, and, and so I think what I've had to learn from this is that, you know, after her nap, I was able to go back in and say like, okay, I'm really sorry that mom yelled at you. That was not the appropriate response. And starting at a younger, young age for her, um, and repeating those scripts. So yeah. I think that's, what's been super helpful for me is having a script that I can turn to to one, help regulate my own emotion and keep me level and calm. Um, and then that being able to script that script, being able to teach her in in turn as well. Yeah. And isn't it important because we're all, we all make mistakes. Yeah. And our kids need that. They don't need a model of a perfect behavior because their behavior isn't perfect. Yeah. And their brains are developing and they need to know how to recover when they lose it. And if that feels so natural and normal and comfortable to just own that, and then think how quickly you recover and move out of it when you just accept it. And you're not, you're not blaming someone else for your behavior and you're not beating yourself up and shaming yourself for it. You're just owning it. You're staying in that healthy space of accountability and emotional ownership. And it just helps us all move forward in our lives in a healthier way. Yep. One other thing I was just thinking about is that we're talking a lot about negative emotion because I think it's easier to identify when we've had a negative um, interaction or we're trying to avoid negative emotions. But I think there's also this um, ongoing conversation about like toxic positivity of not just being happy all the time or teaching your kids like, Oh, just be happy by saying like, Oh, don't be sad. Like, just be happy. Um, but how can we find balance in that? Because I think that's just as important is that recognizing that there are times of happiness. Um, and one of the things that has brought a lot of joy to me lately too, is that Sawyer recognizing the differences of when she's sad and when she's happy and she vocalizes that she'll say, I'm feeling really happy right now. And I love that. I don't ever want to squash that down either because of a perception or toxic positivity. I want her to be able to feel both ends of the spectrum of emotions. Well, I think naturally we just feel all the emotions. And I yeah. think the key there is respecting 
what people feel and respecting their emotional experience. Because what happens where we get into trouble and really what starts driving compulsive behavior is when we shame people's emotional experience. And what I mean by this is when we tell someone that they should be feeling something different than they already are. Mm. Okay. So let's say, um, you're, you're walking with your child and they trip and fall on the sidewalk and they start crying and they start acting embarrassed and you say, Oh, don't be embarrassed. You don't need to be embarrassed. That's not a big deal. Just keep going. Well, the truth is they do feel embarrassed. Now that may not be your emotional experience or what you think they should be experiencing, but that is what they're experiencing. So the better we can get at really recognizing what someone's experiencing and, and instead of just acknowledging it and saying, helping them up and say, Oh, it's okay. Do you feel a little embarrassed? I do that too. I felt embarrassed before when something like this happens, let me give you a big hug. It's going to be okay. Okay. You just stay right with me here as we're walking along. Okay where we just quiet it down instead of telling what they should and shouldn't feel, because that can be incredibly shaming. And then you feel like, oh, was I not supposed to feel this way? Because I felt this way. And I talk a lot about this with pornography, because when we make the assumption that someone has a certain emotional experience with pornography, and we talk to them like, well, you should feel this way when you look at it. And we just assume that we know what their emotional experience is. And then we tell them what they should or shouldn't be feeling about something, then it starts to get really confusing and really shaming. And they're like, oh, was I not, this is the way I felt. Was I not supposed to feel that way? What am I, what way am I supposed to feel? You want to just help your kids feel comfortable feeling whatever they're feeling. And so when they're feeling happy, oh, you're feeling happy or you're feeling, oh, you're feeling sad. You just, you just kind of reflect right back to them and talk. And just when they say it, oh, okay. And, um, and just allow, give them the space to feel what they're feeling. When we talk about space, it's just a fancy way of saying, give someone room to feel something without judgment, that whatever they feel is valid and it's real because it is what they are feeling. And the more we try and argue or resist with that, usually their, their emotion will grow. I mean, I'm, I don't know if you guys have had this experience. I know I've had it a lot <laughs> as a parent, <laughs> When you try and tell your child to feel differently than they do, it doesn't help. Yeah, <laughs> right? no. It makes the situation worse. But when we can just step right in, get on their level and acknowledge, oh, okay, that's what you're feeling. Okay. The end. And then it just helps them process it and move through it. Like, oh, okay. And then we move through it. It's when we start thinking it's a problem, good or bad, you know, and, and we just allow it that it just allows the experience to happen instead of forcing an experience that we think should be happening instead. Yeah. I'm like replaying all of my interactions with my kids, like just the way of saying, Oh, you don't be embarrassed. You don't need to like, it's like this passive aggressive way of like telling them how to be. And I don't know that I ever really thought about, I'm sure I've said that to my kids before just like that like you shouldn't be embarrassed it's fine like that's not embarrassing it's normal um like and my daughter gets really frustrated at well all my kids do like with their clothes sometimes like this is not what I want and just like total meltdown and it's like dude get it together it's just <laughs> shorts you know and so like trying to like talk to her in a way that like I see you I see that you're frustrated that you can't find shorts that fit this way this is the reality you know like this morning it's picture day and she wanted to wear a certain dress and it's like getting short on her and all my shorts are too long you can see them I'm not wearing shorts I'm like okay but you prefer to wear shorts you always wear shorts why do you not like I just like couldn't wrap my head she's getting so angry and I just was like okay well these are your options you have to choose. (laughs) And I'm just trying to think, how did I, did I handle that in a way where I was like, get it together. You're, you're doing this wrong. Like you're emotioning wrong, (laughs) emoting wrong. (laughs) And and I feel like I have to do my whole life over like, okay, (laughs) slow down Kara. But I, I am the worst mirror of bad emotions. Like I always meet my kids emotions and I lose it. I get so overstimulated 
so bad. I'm a, I'm not a good emotional model unless we're in public. And then I'm like, all's good and I'm Snow <laughs> White and everything's great. Like I keep it. I'm a perfect parent in public, but not at home, not in the car, especially. <laughs> yeah. And it's learning to create that consistency, right? Where we're the same parent at home as we are in public mm-hmm. and where we're showing up the same way and, and we're tuning out what people, because when we're showing up in public, think of why we're showing up that way. Then are we doing that because we don't want people to think of us a certain way or, and what is our motive? It's really, I think it's really good to get curious about that and mm-hmm. think about why we act differently in each way with the goal being that the parenting stays consistent. So our kids know we show up the same, that the boundary and the rule is the same, whether we're in public or at home. Mm-hmm. right? We emphasize respect, whether we're in the home or we're in public, we're teaching those same values. We're, we're responding the same We're And if a child feels an emotion in public, we are respectful of it. We're loving and kind. We're giving them the space to feel we're recognizing their embarrassment, just like we would at home, giving them the same space to feel recognizing that they might feel embarrassed and, and just really trying to see the experience from their eyes of what they're feeling right now. After our last conversation, um, I had, I had my husband listen to it and, you know, we just were talking about how we talk to our kids because we wanted to take shame-based language out of our home. And I think you said in that last episode, like we make mistakes in our, in our home, we make mistakes. Like that's our mantra, like no obedience with exactness, but we make mistakes and we say, we're sorry. Um, and right after that, one of my little, my little guy, little Parker, he plugged the toilet and flooded (laughs) the whole bathroom (laughs) and it was a mess. And (laughs) he tried to fix it he just kept flushing it and he was trying to take care of it and he came out he was so embarrassed and he was in tears and he's like mom I broke the bathroom (laughs) and please don't tell dad and like he was just so embarrassed about it and like and he just wouldn't stop crying and I was like okay dude we can fix this like, I'm not upset. It acts, this happens all the time. Next time you've noticed that it's plugged up, just come and get me. I'll fix it. We got a little snake thing. I can fix it right away. And, but thank you for trying, you know, but he just was inconsolable. Like, I don't want dad to know. I is like, this is so embarrassing and I do everything wrong. And like, he talks about like, I do things wrong. I'm not built for racing. That's what he said. Like, like, why didn't you join the race? I'm not built for racing. I've lost every race in my whole life. And I was just like, buddy, I'm sorry if we've gotten mad at you in the past for making mistakes or or making messes that you feel like you couldn't tell us now, you know? And, but it's okay. Because, you know, even if something got broken, like, a lot of times we can fix it or replace it it's just a thing but we need to clean it up fast so it doesn't ruin the floor or something but you know it's okay if daddy knows daddy loves you he understands and he still loves you you but I just realized in that moment how we must we weren't good at at controlling our own emotions our own responses because he had such a strong response and I was like oh shoot we messed up sorry buddy <laughs> we did this wrong let's reparent you so we're like we're trying really hard to like say we make mistakes but they threw that back at us <laughs> my son got in trouble he doesn't the older my older son with autism he behaves really well but he like kicked somebody in the crotch during during PE because they he was a big enforcer they were like cut in line so he went and was like oh kick him in the crotch like you did so he got in trouble at school and we're like okay you have to tell us we won't get mad and he was like we're like buddy you can't hit, you can't hit people in the crotch that's not the right way to respond and he was like you told us you wouldn't get mad at us I'm like well you hit somebody dude like we're not mad but we want you to learn so they they're trying to work work the system now I was like, yeah and they're <laughs> 
those are great examples. And they're trying to figure it out too, right? They're trying to figure out how feelings cause their actions and they can't quite see it. And, you know, and they think, anyway, it's, it's all their little brains trying to figure out and understand it. But those are great examples too, of right. How, how kids, and this just subtle, the subtleness over time where kids feel like our big reactions, this, this is what, there's several things that can happen from it. But if kids feel like they're in control of our reactions, that what they do makes us happy or what they do makes us sad. What it does is it helps foster people pleasing, right? Where they mm-hmm. think they are in control. It right. also fosters blame where they feel like they can blame other people for the choices they make because their other people cause that. So again, it's teaching this concept of, and it ultimately helps causes them to feel powerless in their life because they feel like the way they feel is dependent on everyone else around them because everyone else's emotions determine their own. They don't learn that accountability, but when we can really stay calm and just allow them to feel that and teach them that they are responsible for what they feel and it's okay. And we can help them feel it in a healthy way. And then even when they do something, they are hangry and they hit someone. Yeah. We've got to talk about it. We've got to teach. We've got to help them understand that it's not okay to do that, but make all the space we need for feeling saying it's okay to feel angry. It's always okay to feel angry. Now let's think of what we can do when we feel angry. Maybe we can go punch our pillow instead of punch our sister, right? And and have an outlet that's respectful, but helps us just get through that anger in, in a good way. Yeah, I think what goes hand in hand with feelings is boundaries and mm-hmm. creating those bumpers or boundaries for our kids so that they can see exactly where the lines are and that's, that's something I have been trying to work on, um, in how I communicate, um, with Sawyer is okaying the emotion, but then still withholding a boundary so that it doesn't get out of hand. Cause I think that's the part I'm kind of struggling with right now is that, you know, I, I want to okay the emotion and for her, you know, she's two and a half. So of course that's going to more often than not lead to, a temper tantrum where she's screaming and she's crying and that's her um, processing that emotion or feeling that emotion. So I don't want to like cut it off, but at the same time, I want to teach the boundary of, okay, it's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel sad, but that doesn't mean that we scream and yell at mom, or it doesn't mean that we carry on, but it's, it's so hard for me because I'm, I feel like there's such a fine balance and I'm not quite sure how the boundary and the okaying of the motion meet. Yeah. And I think it's a process where we have to struggle to figure it out. Right. Yeah. And we, and we have to try different things. And, you know, if you're in a deadline and you have to get in the car and they're out of control, we can take some time to do that, but then we have to say, can you get in the car seat or do you want me to put you in the car seat? Yeah. You know, and where we have to, and, and let me just assure you that over time, your kids will learn these things. They will. Yeah, (laughs) they will. And they start to learn these behaviors as we model them and we show them and we, and we're patient and we're consistent. I think the key with boundaries is that they're reasonable, they're flexible and they're consistent. Okay. Being boundaried isn't about being rigid because kids will naturally push back against rigidity. And, and we do have to have a little flexibility, especially when we're working with young kids or kids with special needs, right? We've got got to have some, some flexibility there, but we're just doing our best to try and be consistent and be reasonable and be flexible where we need to be flexible. And, and if that didn't work, then we try something else and we make some adjustment here or there to teach our kids the rules and the, the importance of expectation and structure and rules, because kids need that to feel safe just as much as they need space to feel feelings, to feel safe. Both of those things create safety in a relationship where they know that there is structure. There are, there are limits. There are expectations. 
Yeah. So my question is before we run out of time. So say you have a child that you realize probably an older child that is exhibiting a compulsive behavior, whether it's overeating or breaking some like breaking things to deal with their emotions or pornography use or you know awful language that that's that's how they're coping um how can you redirect with love like and say okay we missed a step we need to go reprogram this response you know to get out of that compulsive behavior how do you address that would you say First of all, I think it's important if a parent, a parent's got to be in a calm, level-headed state Mm -hmm. to be able to deal. You've got to be able to take all your fear and all of your anxiety out of it to show up in a way that's really helpful for your child. Because what you've got to start doing is looking underneath the behavior to see what is the feeling that's driving that behavior, right? Do they have really high anxiety? Do they have high stress? Um, Do they have some type of aversion in social situations? Do they have sensory overload when they're in different places? And then that's what we need to address is what's underneath. And so we need to start, maybe they have toxic stress because their expectation of where they should be and their capability is really high, but their capability is not that high. So what we need to do is slowly increase the capability and then reduce all these expectations that they have in their mind or the pressures in their life. So there's lots of little adjustments that can be made and then getting them the help they need to find healthy coping skills. And I think that's really important. And I think we're talking way more about that now than we used to, but finding them a professional that they can work with to find, develop the tools and the skills they need to to handle the things that are creating the triggers for the compulsive behaviors, because all the compulsive behavior is, is a symptom, right? It's just a symptom of something happening. And so processing emotions in a healthy way. Yes. That's, that is one of the key components, but we need to figure out what else, what are the, what are the emotions that are really triggering? Is it stress, anxiety, depression, um, and then making adjustments to, to really look at that and help with that. I think that just reminds me back to about our last conversation that we have to create the space in our home where our kids feel safe coming and talking to us, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about their emotions, about what they're anxious about, about what they're co- like, I I'm not dealing mom. And, you know, cause our, these kids, like kids are little and they're, handling things differently but like I just think about all these like teenagers and the self-harm and suicide Mm -hmm. rates going up and it's like our kids don't feel safe coming to our our, their parents and I mean that's like my one goal in life (laughs) is that like my kids can get through life barely knowing how to read I don't care that's fine they don't have to be the smartest kid but I want them to be kind and I want them to be safe and feel like they can talk to to me at the very least and and not feel so alone you know my husband grew up feeling alone he couldn't talk about anything could about talk about his identity you know he couldn't with anyone and anytime he ever tried he was shamed and said "Mm, that part about you isn't good that's let's let's not talk about that you know and I never want that to be perpetuated with our kids and so I think it's so hard to break those cycles of like, we're parenting how we were parented. So, and learning how to not shame our kids for being who they are and, uh, or over be over strict or, you know, having these boundaries that are not, or expectations that aren't, these kids can't meet, you know, because they have it already at school. They want to be in all the AP classes. They want to be the soccer star. They want to be TikTok and Instagram pretty <laughs> and be a YouTube star. And yeah. There's so much pressure and it just makes my little, my heart hurt for all these kids right now. I love that so much. And I think is you're exactly right is we can really create our homes, just become a refuge, right? Where they can walk in the door, they can take off their backpack and it's going to make me cry, but just feel like 
I'm okay here and I can 100% be myself and I can lose it and I can be excited and I can be silly and I'm still going to be loved and accepted for exactly who I am. Can you imagine how our world would change, right? If we all had that place where we just felt that love and security and that safety that we are okay just the way we are. And then we do that in the way we respond to our kids about different situations. And one other thing I wanted to make note of, even in our, in the way that we are, think of your body language when your child is really excited or really angry. Are you open to them or closed? Are you rolling your eyes? Are you, you know, tensing up? Are you, you know, how are you even responding in your body language when they have a big emotion? And the great thing about parenting is we get infinite opportunities to practice this. <laughs> so true. We get so yeah. many chances. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's great. <laughs> we can just keep trying and keep practicing and do it again and ask for a do-over and realize, oh, maybe that wasn't how I want to do it. Okay. I'm going to try this now. And kids are adaptable and we're adaptable and we've got time to figure this out. And I just hope parents know that the that we just take the pressure off, but we, we do become more intentional and create that space for our kids to feel without judgment, because that is so important. Thank you so much, Emily. I think again, you always leave us with lots of self-reflection and lots of just warm, fuzzy feelings of, you know what, it's going to be okay. And, and I appreciate that because I think it can be easy when you're listening to podcasts and having conversations to feel like, oh, I'm not measuring up or I've got to do this and I've got to do that. But we do have time and it's all about being intentional. And, and just as we are teaching our kids how to feel and process their emotions, we've got, we've got to create the space and time for ourselves yeah. to do it as well. Exactly. Well, speaking of all of our parenting duties and maybe sharing, let's maybe share some funny stories about some of these, these parenting duties that may have not gone according to plan. I don't know. <laughs> um, Emily, do you have any funny stories that came out of the mouth of your babe recently? Well, we had a funny incident, um, a week or so ago, my oldest daughter had gotten a boy's phone number at church, a boy that she thought was kind of cute. And so their, her younger brother and sister were laughing and teasing about it. And they thought it was so funny. My oldest is 14. And so the 11 year old and 10 year old were giggling about it and <laughs> trying to offer her some advice on what to say to this boy that she thought was cute. And my 11 year old's advice, his pickup line was, do you want a chicken nugget? And <laughs> We have no idea where it came from, but we, I had to inform him that may not be that effective to win someone over asking them if they want a chicken nugget, but yeah. one of those just random funny things that, um, that came out of his mouth yeah. I love to him. It made perfect sense. Like, I mean, if someone asked me if I want a chicken, I'd be like, uh, I'm yours. Like you clearly love me. I love you too. I know chicken nugget, right? What else do I need to say? Chicken nugget, especially yeah. if it's from Chick-fil-A. That's right. That's right. Exactly. That's God's chicken. Kara, <laughs> oh. do you have a story? So Charlotte, my daughter, she has just been like coming, she's like coming into her own and becoming this little girl, not a little baby anymore. She's seven and a half, but she's been turning on this sassy voice like oh my gosh Matt like we were playing in the in our alleyway behind our house and playing catch yesterday and she was just like ew gross guys what are you guys doing and I'm like where did you come up with that voice everything is like this and <laughs> mom Kennedy's had a crush on all the Jonathan since kindergarten can you believe that I'm like yeah, that's great that that she has a crush on like okay why are you talking like because mom like oh you're watching way too much tv <laughs> it's so funny 
Uh, as you can hear, my kids probably screaming in the background, fighting over something. <laughs> Parenting win at the moment that I'm ignoring my children <laughs> and letting them kill each other in my room. Um, lately, Sawyer, she will say her vocabulary has gotten very extensive, but she's still, it's just funny the way she pronounces words. But lately, our favorite word that she has been pronouncing is hamburger, but she says hamburger oh I love it <laughs> she's like I want a hamburger no oh, it's on french fries and a hamburger write it down because you'll forget and my kids would do that all the time and it would melt my heart and then when I got to my youngest I just stopped correcting because I wanted her to mispronounce as long as she could <laughs> but we could hold on to that so write those down write down all these funny things I I love that you guys do this and I <laughs> I think, why didn't I write more of those down? There were so many like cute, funny ones. And so anyway, what a great thing to remember. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been fun. It's really My fun. kids say Chick-fil-A wrong and I don't think they'll ever say it correctly. They say chick a flay like, <laughs> since they're babies. <laughs> Let's go to chick a flay I'm like, all right. Write it down, <laughs> write it down. And then you'll laugh so hard when they're older. Like you used to call it this. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It's so good. Emily, thanks so much for hanging out with us again. I mean, we could probably talk to you every day, all day and still get nuggets of wisdom and enjoy our time. We never get sick of you. So thanks. Well, it's so fun being with you and thanks for letting me come on and talk about this. And I just think it's so important. So thanks for creating a space for moms to come learn and, and figure, because we all need a place to figure this out together. That's true. We will, as always, provide contact information in our show notes and tag Emily so that if you have more questions or want to talk more about what we have discussed today with her, um, then you'll be able to reach out to her directly. We hope everyone has a great week. And if you enjoyed this episode or have enjoyed other episodes from season one or season two, we would love it if you would go and rate review, subscribe, and share with your friends.